This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. I'm just a cool boy, I need no sympathy. Because I'm easy come, easy go, little high, little low. Anyway the wind blows, doesn't really matter. You know, we could do worse than start this program with what was voted in the UK some years back as the greatest rock and roll tune of all time. In case you're unfamiliar with it, God forbid, that was the beginning of Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Currently, as you may or may not be aware, there is a film in theaters near you with the same title. And yes, it's about Freddie Mercury and Queen. Mostly it's about Freddie Mercury. But... It's fair to say Queen does play a supporting role. Let's start off today saying a word or two about this new film. Luckily for yours truly, I received a a very positive review of this film by a good friend. And uh, on that basis, I went to go see it. Mr. Millen asked me how it was, and when I told him it's a very, very good film, he was a bit surprised because, like most of you, you may have read these somewhat lukewarm reviews floating around out there. Well, we here at Radio Parallax are out to balance those lukewarm reviews by telling you that, in our opinion, this is a very, very good film, an excellent film, really, and one that is worth your time. It'll also give us a chance to use some bumper music from Queen, which is always a good thing. Now, when digging through some old papers for Radio Parallax, things that were set aside long ago, in this case, long before there was a Radio Parallax, for reasons I'm not clear, I came across the... Economist obituary of Mr. Freddie Mercury from 1992, I guess it was. At that point in time, I had to sort of think, well, who was Freddie Mercury? I was not a huge Queen fan, although I think it's fair to say I have become one since. And uh, the interview on Fresh Air with guitarist Brian May with Terry Gross indicated that they admitted that Queen had fallen off. Uh, the American charts, they were doing tours all over the world, were still very, very big, but they had some problems in America in the 80s, I guess it was. And although I don't know this absolutely to be true, and hopefully you Queen fans out there can drop us a line at info at to correct matters. But I think that they made a video where they were dressed in drag, which MTV refused to play, and which people in America were just unhappy with. Brian May said, I, I thought it was pretty funny. And if you look up this video on YouTube where it is available, you'll see that it uh, it starts out, well, I, I'd say a bit silly. Starting with Freddie Mercury in a, blonde wind, in a blonde wig but retaining his mustache. Falsies in his blouse on display. But it does, <laughs> well, I, actually, I don't want to get this. It, it, gets very, it gets to be a very strange video, and I think it was just too much for the time for whatever reason, at least here in the U.S. of A. 
in that same Brian May interview, I was surprised to learn that the band was felt very the band felt very indebted to Mike Myers of all people because <laughs> during that rather amusing scene in Wayne's World where they're driving about and he says we have some musical selections to which Garth is saying oh that's an excellent choice they play Bohemian Rhapsody which apparently revitalized the band for American audiences the clip of this because the movie had not been released and I think was not even was not released until after Freddie Mercury's passing but Brian May took it to Freddie and he thought it was pretty funny they were very approving of their representation in Wayne's World but after concluding, yes, this, this is a good film, I thought I'd better go back and take a look at some of the reviews I guess I stumbled across. The OnlineCurrent.com, under Bohemian Rhapsody Reviews, said, As dazzling as Mercury himself. The good folks at that publication said, Overall, Bohemian Rhapsody is excellently made and totally worth seeing in theaters. Malik's performance alone should be worth the price of admission, although there's the incredible musical numbers and emotional weight to make this one a must-see. Now, the movie does do a very good job by all accounts. Even the negative reviewers were impressed with how it recreated their appearance for Live Aid at Wembley Stadium, which I guess some rock critics voted it's one of the greatest performances ever, although it's only like a 20-minute set, so I don't know how that can be. Well, come to think of it, maybe I do know how that can be, because the way it's portrayed in the film is pretty stirring. But balancing that off is the fact that it got only one star from Roger Ebert. But let's face it, since Roger Ebert died on April 4th in 2013, that can't be that accurate of a review. And no, we don't know how that's done, maybe through a Ouija board. Anthony Lake at The New Yorker decided to be pretty snarky, saying, If the film is to be trusted and one instinctively feels that it isn't, the birth of Queen was smooth and unproblematic. Mercury approaches two musicians, Roger Taylor and Brian May, out in the parking lot having enjoyed their gig, learns that their group's leader has defected, and there and then launched into an impromptu addition for the job. Bingo. Queen already sounds like Queen, and before you know it, the boys have a manager, a contract, an album, and a cascade of wealth. It's that easy. And for their first global tour, it is illustrated by the names of the cities flashing up on the screen, Tokyo, Rio, and so forth, in one of those excitable montages which was starting to seem old-fashioned by 1940. It does seem that some of the gay reviewers out there, no, we don't know whether Anthony Lake is gay or not, but certainly the people, the person writing for Vox.com was angrily referring to the film. The reviewer said the result is far more hurtful than your average unconsciously homophobic film. Bohemian Rhapsody is a movie that consciously tries to position a gay man at the center while strategically disengaging with the gay part as much as it can flitting briefly over his emotional and sexual experiences and fixating on his platonic relationship with an ex-girlfriend instead. It strips Mercury of a part of his identity that was as vital to his success as his four-octave vocal range. Well, I don't know. Brian May, in the interview on Fresh Air, said that in the early days, he was sharing a room with Freddie, and he knew back then he wasn't sleeping with men. Anyway, I learned a lot watching this movie. I did not realize that Freddie Mercury was born in Zanzibar, a Parsi. His real name was Farouk Bulsara. The movie does explain, and I guess I should elaborate for those of you who perhaps don't know. The Parsis are a minority group living primarily in Bombay, I guess today's Mumbai in India, who emigrated there from Persia. When Islam moved into Persia, the state religion Zoroastrianism was uh, suppressed, I guess you'd say, and a lot of the practitioners packed up and moved east where they are still found today in India. And of course, some of them then left India to move to places like 
London, where they joined rock bands. And now you know the rest of the story. Well, not exactly, but anyway, good movie. Another piece of entertainment I did want to check out was the, the, the documentary Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood. But uh, I'm not able to find this anywhere. I guess it aired some somewhere. Somebody's seen it. Got reviewed. Everybody seems to say that the score, the story that Scotty Bauer is telling, uh, well, nobody's sure how true it is. Because Scotty said he waited till everybody in it was dead before he decided to tell the story. We're going to keep looking after that one. But this did remind me, at least... Put into Scotty in the reviews, he got into the business of being a Hollywood procurer when he was approached while being a good-looking guy working at a gas station by actor Monty Woolley. Monty Woolley is the star, at least one of the stars, of a movie I've been meaning to see since, I don't know, I made a list back in the 1990s. That movie is called The Man Who Came to Dinner. And after being reminded of my desire to see it, I looked it up on the web, found it, and apparently a... Uh, a copy is winging its way to me now. Stay tuned for a review. We do hope in the weeks to come to return Stan Godwin to the program to talk about uh, uh, his role as, as a travel agent and, and what travel agents can do for you and why, why you should consider using one, at least in my opinion, and uh, how that can help your travels. And we are, if nothing else, huge advocates of travel on Radio Parallax. When you travel around a bit, it's hard to retain a narrow mind. We do want to thank Stan for the thing he posted on Facebook not so long ago that showed <laughs> under the heading Climate Change, a timeline, a long stretch of blue on this, uh, on this graph which said climate change isn't real, followed by a long stretch of orange on the graph which said, okay, climate change is real, we're just not convinced it's caused by humans, followed by a small red square that says, oops, and a smaller yellow one that says, Crap! Only doesn't actually say crap, but you get the idea. Last Friday, on Black Friday, a day when people are bound to be distracted, our federal government finally released a long-awaited report on climate change. In case you missed that one while you were out, you know, gouging people in the eye in order to get, you know, a TV set cheap, the report's authors, who represented numerous federal agencies, say they are more certain than ever that climate change poses a severe risk to Americans, both to our health and our pocketbooks. The country's infrastructures and natural resources are also obviously threatened. And while it avoids policy recommendations, the report's sense of urgency and alarms stand in stark contrast to the lack of any apparent plan from President Donald Trump, who did note when asked by reporters that, uh, yeah, he'd seen it. One of my neighbors, who's actually quite a Trump fan, had to laugh at that one. Although I can't confirm this, I, I gather that at some point after that, he also added that uh, he didn't believe it. Surprise, surprise. The leader of the free world also <laughs> apparently has stated for the record that the CIA's conclusions on the murder of Jamal Khashoggi were not their conclusions. This, of course, is not true. The CIA, in fact, concluded that Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, the heir to the throne of Saudi Arabia, ordered the murder and dismemberment of the dissident Saudi. The assessment was based on intercepted Saudi communications, our NSA at work, no doubt, including a phone call made by members of the 15-person kill squad to one of the Crown Prince's senior aides shortly after the grisly killing. 
Tell your boss, the assassins told the aide. I believe they added words to the effect that the job was completed. Initially, in a written statement, Trump concluded that it it could very well be that the crown prince had knowledge of this tragic event. Maybe he did, and maybe he didn't. He, of course, praised Saudi Arabia as a great ally. At this juncture, I think I have to repeat the quote being sent around by the Occupy Democrats, which said, I thought Trump was going to pardon a turkey to spare it from execution, not pardon the execution of someone in Turkey. Well, funny thing is, we thought that too. Jonathan Swan, writing in Axios.com, and Axios is quite an interesting little organization we should look into in the future. He said, Trump has never wanted to make a big deal out of Khashoggi's killing. Privately, he's been telling aides that other countries America deals with, quote, do a lot of bad things, unquote. And he can't understand why the murder of one man has garnered so much attention. You know, back to his misconceptions about global warming and the federal government's study of it. As, As listeners, no matter where you are, and I know we do have listeners in Asia and on other continents... No matter where you are, you no, no doubt heard about this terrible fire that took place in Northern California. The town of Paradise was wiped out. We do want to commend the good people of Chico, California, and other communities nearby for opening their doors to people who were refugees from the fire in Paradise. Thankfully, the KZFR studios in Chico did not have to be evacuated along with a lot of the town. Thankfully. I know we received notice from General Manager Rick Anderson, that they were packed up and ready to go if the need arose. Thank God it did not. And thus it is our great privilege to continue to be heard on KZFR. No doubt the air was pretty bad up there. The air, (laughs) that same bad air moved down the Sacramento Valley and down far into the Bay Area, out to sea. It It was everywhere. It was bad. Listeners... In the KDVS footprint, no doubt, had to put up with smoking 11 cigarettes a day, which is what studies said people in the Sacramento area were doing. Oh, I do have to editorialize for a moment that, you know, I don't want to smoke 11 cigarettes a day. And I'm sure I got exposed to something nearly that bad down in the Bay Area as well. But the fact of the matter is, I I know quite a few people who smoke 11 cigarettes a day. Some of them may smoke 40 cigarettes a day, day after day, week after week, year after year. And no, it's not good for their health, but it doesn't cause you to keel over and turn blue right away. So I don't know, going rushing out to the store and buying those masks that everybody then said afterwards wasn't that effective. This might be a good time to note that a lot of charities are being set up to aid the victims of the terrible campfire. And, and, and dear listener, you, you surely should consider doing your part. And, and we don't recommend you send them a pack of smokes. It might be claimed, and it is being claimed by many, I think appropriately, that the backstory to this terrible fire, that we, fires actually, both in Northern and Southern California, that we had of late, uh, has to do with climate change. Currently in California, we're experiencing temperatures in the 60s. We're getting a little bit of rain now, finally. Thanksgiving did bring relief from the skies, but it's unusual to be this warm this late in the year. It has happened on occasion in years past, but it seems to now have become the norm. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy Orange County weather as much as anybody, but I think I liked it better when I lived in Orange County. 
When we live in Northern California, this this nice this nice warm high pressure systems without a lot of rain is just not such a good gig. We need rain and we need lots of it. How else are we going to fill up our rivers and then fill up our reservoirs and then put the water in tubes and send it to Southern California so they can have greener golf courses, so they can water the stiffs at Forest Lawn, so they can continue rampant real estate development out in the desert. Obviously, there are huge economic costs when we have disasters like this. And as climate scientists have been trying to point out now for decades, this is going to hurt us. It's going to hurt us in the pocketbook. When you have hurricanes ripping through the country more often than they used to, do a lot of damage. A lot of energy and time has to be spent repairing the damage done by these storms. Of course, the question remains, should we be building in areas like in Florida that are prone to catastrophic hurricanes on a regular basis? Well, probably not, but that's another story. A story for another day, anyway. It used to be in California with our Mediterranean climate, which people love for good reason. You can pretty much count on the weather being something very predictable from June through July through August through September. At least that's what it used to be. Used to be you could count on two months where it did not rain, except for the occasional bizarre thunderstorm. I think I've seen rain once in July and once in August in my life. But the dryness is extending now on either side of July and August. These terrible fires took place in November when by rights we would have expected rain to have fallen and to have if not eliminated much reduced the possibility of having any sort of forest fire so it's scary stuff we need to be addressing the issue of what to do about this and we are looking forward to talking about the book dark money Jane Mayer's tour de force looking back at political contributions uh, starting in the 70s and coming forward in time to where people like the Koch brothers, Sheldon Adelson, Richard Melanscafe, and others have advanced their agenda. In the case of the Kochs, the agenda is we just cannot have anything that's going to cut back on carbon emissions. That would be very bad for the bottom line. We're in the business of promoting fossil fuels and shipping them around the country. We will save that fuller discussion for another day. But I do want to cite the piece in the Washington Post by Josh Dowsey. Philip Rucker, Bradley Dennis, and Chris Mooney, former Radio Parallax guest Chris Mooney, about Trump's reaction to this landmark climate change report issued by 13 federal agencies. The report, in fact, details how damage from global warming is intensifying throughout the country. But um, President Trump heard about it and said he's not among the believers who see climate change as a pressing problem. The article chronicles how these comments are the president's most extensive yet and why he disagrees with his own government's analysis. Notes the Post, the findings, unequivocal, urgent, and alarming, are at odds with the Trump administration's rollback of environmental regulations and absence of any climate action policy. To quote from the leader of the free world, One of the problems that a lot of people like myself, we have a very high levels of intelligence, but we're not necessarily such believers. As to whether or not it's man-made and whether or not the effects that you're talking about are there, I don't see it. While not addressing the fundamental causes of 
climate change. The president riffed on pollution in other parts of the world, talking about trash in the oceans. He opined on forest management practices, but said little about what scientists say is is actually driving the warming of the planet, emissions of carbon dioxide from the burning of fossil fuels. Said Trump, you look at our air and our water and it's right now at a record clean. But when you look at China and you look at parts of Asia and you look at South America and you look at many other places in the world, including Russia, including many other places, the air is incredibly dirty. When you're talking about an atmosphere, oceans are very small. And it blows over. It sails over. I mean, we take thousands of tons of garbage off our beaches all the time that comes from Asia. It just flows right down the Pacific. It flows and we say, where does this come from? And it takes many people to start off with. The article quotes Andrew Dressler, professor of atmospheric science at Texas A&M, struggling to find a response to the president's comment, saying, how can one possibly respond to this? In his comments, Trump also seemed to invoke a theme that's common in the world of climate change skepticism. The idea that not so long ago, scientists feared global cooling. Said Trump, if you go back and look at articles, they talk about global freezing. They talk about at some point the planet going to freeze to death, and then it's going to die of heat exhaustion. The article points out that scientists' understanding of where the planet is heading is better developed now than it was in the 1970s when those fears were being thrown around. But since we're in a Trump-quoting mood from this article, let's continue a bit. His words, I think, speak for themselves. The fire in California where I was, if you looked at the floor, the floor of the fire, they have trees that were fallen. They did no forest management, no forest maintenance. You, you can take a match like this and light a tree trunk when that thing is laying there for more than 14 or 15 months. That's a massive problem in California. By the way, I think we did quote the authorities over in Finland who have subsequently contacted the president to say, when we spoke to you before about our forest management, we, we, I'm sorry if you came away with the conclusion that we rake our forests. That We don't. That's, that's not what we do for forest management. Yet Trump said, you go to other places where they have denser trees. It's more dense where the trees are flammable. They don't have forest fires like this because they maintain. And it was very interesting. I was watching the firemen and they were raking brush. It's on fire. They're raking it, working so hard. If that was raked in the beginning, there'd be nothing to catch fire on. Anyway, I got to quit going on about this. I did like a little thing someone sent around on, on social media, three panel with three panels. Panel one, Mohammed bin Salman is speaking to Trump saying, I had nothing to do with the murder of that journalist. Trump says, I believe it. Next frame, Putin says, I never feared with your elections. Trump says, I believe it. Final frame shows headline, climate change will shrink U.S. economy and kill thousands, government report warns. Says Trump, I don't believe it. Speaking of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, which we should say a thing or two about, By the way, the go-to guy in the administration, the Mohammed bin Salman, Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, has been working through is the presidential son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Writing about the Khashoggi affair in Axios.com, Jonathan Swan said, Trump has never wanted to make a big deal out of this killing. Privately, he's been telling aides that other countries America deals with do a lot of bad things, and he can't understand why the murder of one man has garnered so much attention. His only agenda is to get back to business with the Saudis. Well, in my local 7-Eleven recently, I saw a paper called the Epic Times, which apparently is a weekly that is, um, I'm sure, being financed by somebody's dark money. It's taking a rather conservative view of items in the news. 
framing the issue of what was going down in Tijuana as Mexican authorities having to react to mob. It did make some mention of U.S.-Saudi affairs, in particular how the Saudis are doing a great job of keeping oil prices down. Isn't that good? There's been some pushback on the president. There has been some pushback on the president of late from the people he criticized, the people who killed bin Laden. According to Trump, this is something that was high time they got around to doing that. What took him so long? This prompted one wag at least to ask, how in the hell did we get to the point where the guys who killed bin Laden are bad and the guys who financed 9-11 are good? And at the crossroads where politics meets humor, we want to give a, a plug of Alpha House, which is still available if you have, I don't know, one of the services. I forget which one this one is. A friend of mine told me about it. They only did two seasons in 2013 and 2014, but I must say it's very very good. The comedy genius behind it, Gary Trudeau. And he is a comedy genius, an American treasure. In fact, Gary Trudeau's Alpha House uh, can be spoken of in the same breath as Gary Shandling's Larry Sanders Show. What is it about the Garys? Between Gary Shandling, Gary Trudeau, and Gary Larson, man, heavyweights, heavyweights of American humor. Well, we're not big fans of Twitter, here at Radio Parallax, we had to laugh at uh, the antics of the Twitter CEO who's been trolled after he waded into, a, I guess you'd say, an ethnic debate. Twitter Chief Officer Jack Dorsey <clears throat> landed in a controversy in India by posing for a photo with a sign alluding to the touchy subject of the country's caste system. On a tour of one of Twitter's fastest-growing markets, Dorsey met with a group of women activists and journalists and was photographed alongside them holding a poster that read, Smash Brahminical Patriarchy. The photograph went viral and Dorsey got trolled by the very social network he built. As you probably know, in India's hierarchical Hindu caste system, Brahmins top the four caste groups and historically include teachers, priests, and intellectuals. Patriarchy, meanwhile, isn't limited to any single caste in India. But uh, some furious tweeters said the act amounted to racism, while an apology by Twitter only riled up activists to oppose the caste system and patriarchy. I'm not sure why the opponents came down on him, but um, a lot about India I don't comprehend. All right, we've got a couple minutes left in this segment. Let's go to the miscellaneous file. This is about as miscellaneous as they come. Reportedly, state health inspectors are investigating a main seafood restaurant that tried to sedate lobsters bound for the pot with marijuana. Restaurant owner Charlotte Gill pumped weed smoke into the crustacean's water tanks, saying it helps keep the creatures calm and makes an unbelievable difference in their meat. She stopped selling the high-end lobster after state officials objected, saying that medical marijuana can only be provided to people with a doctor's prescription. A state spokesman noted, Lobsters are not people. Man, they don't, they don't miss much up there in Maine, do they? Oh, and a point which didn't come up in our discussion of Bohemian Rhapsody, the Freddie Mercury movie, is the fact that originally slated to play Freddie Mercury was none other than Sasha Baron Cohen. Now, admittedly, he does look something like Freddie Mercury, but luckily for all of us, the band members had the right to veto uh, someone they didn't think was appropriate. And I got the feeling that it didn't take them very long to conclude that, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen was going to make a movie about Sasha Baron Cohen. I will grant you that at times he can be funny, but I just am glad for the sake of all of us in the movie going public that he didn't do it. 
All right, it's, uh, it's time to take a break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Listen, listen, listen. 